And also, Lord, to just wake up again with a promise of what you have in store for our future and for anyone who puts their faith and trust in the full finished work of Jesus. Father, I would ask that you would illuminate our minds and hearts this morning. Lord, I, I plead, I beg you to give me the right words to speak, Lord, uh, truth in love, and that the Holy Spirit would go to work examining, dissecting, if need be, our hearts. Bring us, Lord, draw us, stir our affections in the depths of our heart towards you. Father, we lift up our dear brother, uh, Dr. Gray, as he preaches this morning. We pray, Lord, for those brothers and sisters um, in other churches where the word is being preached. And we pray, Lord, that we would never look at by way of comparing or competing, but we would all understand the role, responsibility that we have to be faithful, to be content with where you've planted us. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, as we examine today the subject of contentment, we know, Lord, inevitably that, that we will look deep within. And I just pray, Lord, that we would learn to trust you to bring us to a place of delighting with a quieted spirit in a teachable way to humbly accept where you've placed us. May you give us your strength to be faithful to the call that you've placed before us. And may we, Lord, live and breathe and talk and work for your glory and for your glory alone. We ask this in the strong and powerful, wonderful and matchless and amazing name of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Living a life of contentment, it's, it's hard for all of us to accept where God has placed us, to accept who God has made us to be. And so we couldn't just race through this text. And so what I decided to do is break it up into two messages. Last week, we looked at just one point, what I call rejoicing in God's provision. We have to, we have to rejoice in what God has given to us, and that leads us to contentment. Paul wrote this, what? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul recognizes that others are, are pouring out lavishly love on him. As we, um, move from that text where we saw last week, we need to learn to be content with who God made us. Who you are as a person. You don't, you don't compete with other people. You have to be content with where God has placed you. Don't, don't complain. We have to be content with what God has given us. Don't compare. How come we can't be as wealthy as our neighbor? So we have to accept the place that God has, has placed us. Who God has created us to be uniquely in his image for his glory. I'm going to read this text again in its entirety, just so you have its context. Philippians chapter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 10 and read down through verse 13. The word of the Lord says this. I rejoiced, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity 
Not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Oh, how I love the promise of this last verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The second point I want to give to you in this message, the first one for this morning is this. We need to be learning about God's plan, which leads to contentment. You and I have constantly got to be learning about God's plan for our lives. And that leads us to contentment. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I think one of the first things that kind of jumps out and, and grabs me in this particular text is the fact that contentment is learned behavior. Which means what? You don't inherit contentment from mom and dad. You, you don't... You don't win it. You don't have your number drawn out of a hat. You get contentment. It doesn't work like that. You can't buy it. It's learned behavior. And I like how from our text we see that it doesn't come naturally at all, but rather it actually comes to us supernaturally. How? Where do we see this? It's very clear. Verse 13 says what? Christ is our source of contentment. I can do all things. We'll look at that in just a moment. And twice we have this word that we read this morning, at least in the English language, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I have learned the secret. It's interesting that we read these words in English, at least in the ESV that I was reading this morning, and they sound exactly the same, but in Greek they're actually two different words. The first one I have learned in whatever situation is the, the Greek word manthano. It means to, to come to know or understand something that has been taught. The second word is moyamai. It means to acquire by learning, to learn a secret or unlock a mystery. I like how one commentator actually says what? We have an account here of Paul's learning not that which he got at the feet of Gamaliel, which is his, his master teacher, his professor, but that which he got at the feet of Christ. Let me say that again. Paul's saying, I've learned this. The comment is, is he's, he's not learned it necessarily in the classroom underneath the, the, the tutelage of his famed professor. But he's actually learned contentment at the feet of Jesus. Just as Paul learned contentment from watching Christ, you and I this morning must learn contentment by watching Christ as well. You see, think of the life that the Lord Jesus Christ lived and, and the path that was woven for him from the manger. From his father Joseph, earthly father Joseph's carpentry shop. To the wilderness. To Jerusalem. To the surrounding areas of Galilee. 
to Gethsemane, to Golgotha, to the tomb. The entire journey, Jesus Christ is modeling what complete and absolute contentment looks like. And as he is en route to the cross, he's actually revealing something to you and I that we can learn this morning. Jesus is giving to us the secret, the secret of contentment. I love secrets. Especially what? Especially secrets that what? That unlock a mystery. As a family last summer, we went to an escape room in State College, the heist. What is interesting is that in order to escape the escape room, you, you, you got to steal the diamond, which we didn't actually steal a diamond, just to let you know, but it's the idea of this escape room. And so this idea is something like this. If, and you're given these numbers as you're locked in this hot, sweaty little box, if there's 141.7 carats, which equal one ounce, and we need to steal a diamond that weighs 2.5 ounces, but we cannot steal the diamond until you convert it to grams. And there's five carats for one gram, thus you have to divide it by 0.2, which gives us the combination to get out of this hot, sticky room, and you're the Boger family that stinks at math. What happens? i tell you what happens. You see, my, my son, our son Seth, did something that I did. He married totally, totally out of his league. Emily, our daughter-in-law, is a mathematician. So she's in there with us, and we think for a moment that by tapping into her mind, we're just staring there, just staring at her, creepily-like. If we can tap into her mind, she can give us the numbers. The problem was this. Emily was about two to three months pregnant and was constantly nauseous. And, and when people were gathered in a hot, sweaty room, and she feels like she's going to throw up, but we need to get the numbers of the combination out of her, we have a problem. We have a secret. we got to unlock the combination. Throw up in the little bag, honey, but you gotta give us this number. Gotta get out of this room. We gotta go eat some Thai food. Well, what happens here? You're working with one another at some level and you're patiently waiting. You're doing all that you can in the circumstances in the sweaty little room that you're stuck in to receive what? The numbers that free us. In a sense, there's a secret combination that Jesus Christ actually models for us in route to the cross. The mystery of contentment. Which means what? We need to come to a place of patiently, willingly, enduring that which perhaps is not very fun or pleasant in order to get us to a place that God actually desires for us to be. You see, when it comes to the idea of contentment that all of us wrestle with at some level, 
We have to understand that God is at work in our lives regardless of what? Regardless of the fact that you feel locked in a sweaty room. God is at work in our circumstances regardless of the fact that you feel what? You're in the midst of some really difficult and dark times and circumstances. God is actually revealing something to you by way of a mystery that is certainly not always fun. But it's of utmost importance. Part of this mystery was revealed to me by reading some of the psalmist's words. I think of David, King David. In Psalm chapter 143, he's hiding in a cave. We know that it is, what? It is a cave of darkness. It's damp in there. There's bats in there. It's frightening. It's horrifying. It's scary. He's fearful. With darkness comes an overwhelming sense of depression. And David writes, he pours out. Psalm chapter 143 says the first words out of his mouth. Teach me. Teach me to do your will. Paul says, I have learned this. David in the cave of Adullam says what? Teach me. I need to learn how to do your will. He continues on, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground for your namesake. Oh Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you'll cut off my enemies. You'll destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servants. You see, there's something that, that, that Paul models. I'm learning this. I've learned this. That David models, teach me this. That it comes back to you and I this morning. Do you and I have a humble, teachable spirit? Do we wake up every single morning with, Lord, please reveal yourself. Teach me this. Guide me. Or do we wake up every single morning with what? We have a, a long checklist of what we have to do in order to accomplish. Or do we wake up with, Lord, please teach us. Begin there this morning by asking, do you demonstrate a teachable spirit with a willingness to learn the lessons that God has for you? That he actually is unfurling a plan for your life and it's a perfect plan. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. God's perfect plan leads you and I to a sense and a spirit of contentment. We really begin by recognizing that you're not here by accident. That God has a purpose for your life. Only you can accomplish what God has designed and created you to accomplish. You can't nudge somebody else and say, yeah, this one's yours. I'm out. It doesn't work like that. Do you realize that God has a plan specifically for your life? I love how what? Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 16, the, the heart of man plans his ways. Isn't that true? We live in 15-minute increments throughout the course of the week. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
What we must realize is that God in his sovereignty chooses and plans. He, he plots a course for us. And we know for some reason that God actually chooses and he plans and plots a course for some people. As we look at them, it seems to be what? It's just physical blessing after blessing after blessing. God has chosen for some people physically just to be blessed. And yet for some reason... God has chosen for some reason, as he plans and plots a course for all of us, for other people physically to be racked with a life of pain. You, you, you realize that. At some level, people have suffering. God chooses a, a course. He plots and plans a course. He has a plan for your life. And he has chosen that you are called to suffer. And for others, God has chosen, plotted and planned a course for you to suffer a lot. More than the other person. And we look at that and we like, this, this, I don't get this. Like God, just this is not fair here. What are you doing here? Back to uh, last week, we talked about Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan, who wrote what? The rare jewel of Christian contentment. And we worked with a definition. And he says what Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. A sweet inner spirit, a quieted spirit... That actually trusts God in his sovereignty in every condition. Good, bad, really bad. What we really need to consider, I think, as we contemplate the idea of contentment, is that we actually have to consider and think hard about what I would see in Scripture as a theology of suffering. If we think about this idea of contentment, why, contentment is actually pretty easy if everything goes perfect, right? Contentment is not easy when all does not go perfect. Contentment is not easy when it does not go well. Therefore, we must consider the place and the purpose, the plan that God has for us when it comes to suffering. Paul himself is what? Languishing. In imprisonment, as he writes those words. Jeremiah Burroughs, Puritan. They don't have like warm, hot running water and indoor bathroom in 1646. I don't know if you know that or not. What has he got to be content with? And yet he talks about a quiet, inward spirit. You see, God chooses and God uses all circumstances for you to what? For you to see him. God chooses all circumstance, any condition for you to what? Know him. God chooses any and all circumstances and conditions for you to learn to love him more. Now, although today we would rather what? We would rather take any and all suffering and kind of push it to the side. 
All of life should be just fun and joy and laughter and blue skies and fluffy clouds. Thomas Jefferson wrote this, and I quote, The art of life is the avoiding of pain. But guess what? That's not really life. No, no, because guess what? Real life is actually filled with 27 rainy days in a row. I've been counting. Real life is actually filled with the ache and the agony of pain and suffering and sickness. Job says in Job chapter 14, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Isn't that a pick-me-up this morning? Like our life if you're breathing oxygen today and your heart continues to beat, at some level, you and I will all face hardship and heartache. But remember what? During this, we are actually identifying with some of the secret that Jesus Christ is actually revealed to us as he makes his way even through great agonos, agony to the cross. You see, we need to learn this, and that's actually why we gather here every single Sunday, same time, same place. You realize that? That the primary purpose for us to gather here Ultimately, to glorify God, first and foremost, it's not for you just to get a jolt of joy and another cup of caffeine to get you through the week. It's not reason that we come here. The reason that we come here, the reason that the Word of God is open and preached to you every single week is to prepare your heart and soul for eternity, not Monday. Yeah, but, but I, just, I just need like a little bit. Like it's really tough and I'm really struggling. I just need a little bit to punch me through the next week. No, 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 I'm, 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 I'm concerned about next week, but I'm far more concerned. I'm far more concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. Because Jesus is always more concerned about your spiritual condition than he is about your physical condition. Always, always, always. Paul writes, and he knows this in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. People, I'm not saying that tomorrow can't be tough. I'm not saying that yesterday wasn't horrible at some level. But it's fleeting. It's momentary. And it's preparing you for what? The eternal weight of glory that is beyond measure. It cannot compare to anything else. So do, do you think for a moment, if your struggle, pain, peril, hardship, heartache, could be removed... If, if, you're, if the weight that's pressing on you, would it be removed? If it was removed, would you be lightened by that? And you're like, oh yeah, clappy happy, that's what I want to be. I don't want clouds and, and dark skies. 
Actually, again, if I could quote Burroughs, he says this, a a Christian comes to contentment not so much by getting off his burden that is upon him as by adding another burden to him. And you're like, wow, I'm really messed this morning. So we're actually replacing our burden with more burden. Yeah. That's the secret. You understand that there's something that we're learning that is being unlocked before us. The secret of contentment is actually, you know, the burden that you're struggling and suffering under the weight that's crushing you. The secret is, is you actually have to add more burden to it. Okay, like this doesn't make any sense at all. How many times have you ever made this statement? If, if anyone only knew how difficult it was for me. You ever make that statement? How many times have you heard this? If anyone just knew how hard my life was. Hundreds, thousands of times. I've heard people say, if anyone only knew how horrible my spouse is. If anyone only knew how miserable my boss was. If anyone only knew the pain that just, it doesn't go away in the back here. If anyone only knew that. This morning I stand before you upon the authority of the word of God and say there actually is someone who knows how bad it is for you. Upon the authority of the word of God. This is not my word, this is what we see in scripture. There actually is one who knows exactly what you're suffering multiplied by a thousand. And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is interesting, as he makes his way to the cross, there is a burden that is pressing, that is crushing him. And it's the burden, what? Not of his own sin, but of my sin. That as Jesus is making his way, what? Along the Via Della Rosa. Crushing him, pressing the burden that is upon him is your sin and my sin. And he bears that, what? With a sense of understanding. I know why I'm here. I know what my heavenly father has called me to do. And I know what I must suffer. I'm willing to suffer it out of love for you. You see, what's interesting here is that what we really need to do by way of learning the secret and contentment that Paul has learned, that Jesus has modeled, is to add another weight, and that is the ever-increasing awareness of our own sinfulness. What we actually have to do is recognize what the heavier the burden of your own sin in your heart, the lighter will be the affliction that you are called to endure to your own soul. You realize that. Well, how can that be the heavier the burden? Because, you know, the sin that we recognize that is crushing us, that is pressing upon us, that sin has all been taken care of through the Lord Jesus Christ's work that was accomplished on the cross. We're aware of our sin, but we're aware of the fact that what? The grossness and vileness that exists in the depths of my heart and mind 
has all been forgiven. Has all been paid for through the finished and full work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's how we begin to learn the secret of what it means to be content. If you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. Let your heart be more burdened with your sin and you'll be less burdened with your own affliction. Let me say that again. Let your heart this morning be more burdened with your own sin and you'll be less burdened with your own affliction. That sounds pretty pessimistic. It's, it's almost sadistic in some way. No, actually, that's exactly the language that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are what? Those who are poor in spirit. Who are aware of the weight of their own sinfulness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so this is the language that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to live like, to be salt and light. Totally different than the messages that you hear in this world. Totally different. That's why we're light in the midst of darkness. That we understand what apart from Christ, apart from Christ, I am nothing. Different than what the world will tell you. But we're light in darkness. Apart from Christ, I deserve nothing. The world doesn't tell you that, but that's why we're light in darkness. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Yeah, but you can do whatever you want to do. No, no, actually, no, that's the darkened world's message. We're light in darkness. The Puritans get it when he says, apart from Christ, I am worse than nothing. I don't know how you get worse than nothing, but they've actually figured that out. That's the message that we bring as light into the darkened world. Number one, we learn about God's plan, which leads to contentment. Number two, quickly, trusting in God's power leads to contentment. Trusting in God's power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have lost count at how many times I have seen people with Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 tattooed on them. I've lost count. It's in, 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 into dozens upon dozens. I've lost count how many times I've seen I can do all things through Christ on a coffee mug, on a keychain, on a bumper sticker, over and over and over again. I can do all things, usually it's in context that what? I can what? I can pass the test. I can get the scholarship. I can hit the buzzer beater. I can hit the home run, drive in the winning run. I'm going to catch the touchdown pass. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that has nothing to do with the context of what it actually means. What it actually means is what? It speaks about the fact, regardless of the fact that you drop the pass, you can live a contented life. Whether or not there's lots or little. Whether or not, what, there is wealth or poverty. Whether or not there is sickness or strength. I am trusting the one all-powerful King Jesus to strengthen me, to sustain me, to do all things. 
I looked at the idea behind this word, all things. In English, it's two words. In Greek, it's actually one. Guess what it means, literally. All things literally translates all things. That's what it means. Everything. I was struck by this interview that I saw last month, last month, uh, the end of March, 1st of April, March Madness. You heard something like that before? It's like madness at March. It's basketball. And they go like, like 64 teams out of 32 and then everything's out like a cool name, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, the Final Four. And we get caught up into this and this is fun and we pick brackets. What's interesting is there was a guy whose name was Bruce Pearl. Um, he's, a, he's a basketball coach from Auburn, actually a Jewish guy. They made it to the Final Four and they lost to Virginia, went ahead and won everything. And they, they claim it was a really bad call. It was a devastating loss. It was a 63-62 final score. They lose by one point. And they bring him in front of the cameras. And they're like, what do you think about that bad call? It's the bad call that lost the game, right? And he said this, and I quote, I listened to it again last night. Would we trust God anymore in defeat than we would in victory? And he actually said this. This was God's plan for us yeah yeah but hey boss you lost the game no 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 there's something bigger that's happening that they're actually learning that what victory or defeat lots of money or no money physical strength or daily agony God has a plan and God doesn't leave us. He doesn't push us out into the deep end to kind of like struggle on your own. No, he actually gives to us himself. We need the strength that Jesus promises to offer to teach us to live with the contentment that is needed in every single condition. In every single situation. It's interesting here when it says, it translates that, that God gives us the strength, Jesus gives us strength in all, it's in the original, it's the participle of the present tense, which is like boring, I understand. And it denotes a present and continued act. All right, so what's the point? It literally, it, it would transliterate to this. It would mean through Christ who is strengthening me and does continually strengthen me. I can do all things. I can hit the home run. No, Christ who is continually strengthening you all the way through. And I'm wondering, is that the way that we're actually trusting and resting in the power that God promises to offer us? That there is lots, there is lots of resources that he makes available. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We are required what be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Not your own strength. We are taught in 2 Timothy chapter 2, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus through Christ who strengthens us. We are trusting what? Ephesians chapter 3, according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I think we short sell the power that exists in the name of Jesus. And so today we are simply reminded 
that there is what? There is hardship and heartache. And we're not denying that fact that there's a theology of suffering that God actually has a plan. He's working that plan for what? Your good and his glory. Say there's a lot here. I can't do it in my strength. I cannot be content in my own strength. But Jesus promises, promises to give us what is needed to be totally satisfied. So I conclude by simply asking you this question. Where are you right now? Down deep in your heart of hearts with with who you are, who God has made you, how God has wired you. Yeah, you can't do math. Big deal. Join the club. Neither can I. How how are you really with, with where you're at? The family situation God has put in around you. How, how are you really contented, a quieted spirit with what you have? Yeah, but if we just, like, if we just made a little bit more, then I know. No, no, no. Maybe if you examine your own heart, you'd say, for some reason, it's not a quieted spirit that exists here. Like, it's actually unsettled. And it's actually churning. And I'm like, like down in what? Antiacids constantly because something's churning. Something's not right. Where do we begin with this? Maybe first and foremost, you have not trusted Christ at all. You begin this morning by trusting in the finished and full work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept him as Lord. He calls the shots, not you. And Savior. We need to be rescued from our sins. And Christ is the only one who's holy and without blemish to suffer and die, pay the price that we simply could not pay. Maybe that's where you begin today. Maybe maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. And that's where it begins. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Savior. And I submit to you as Lord. Or maybe this morning you've already trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've not fully surrendered where it's still what the flesh still kind of rages and roars up. Begin by confessing sin. There's no greater place to do it than in the house of God. Begin there. Lord, forgive me for trying to call the shots. Maybe you've trusted Christ, but you continue to question and argue and kick against the plan that he has for your life. Begin by asking for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for thinking that what my plan is better than your plan. And once you ask for forgiveness, surround yourself with the truth. Start listening to the truth time daily in the Word of God. Surround yourself with people that encourage you, that pray for you, that hold you accountable in the truth. That's learning the secrets of contentment. Please know that that I would love to meet with you. We'll have people up front. If you have a question, like, what are you talking about? And we can pray with you, meet with you, and dialogue to help you and assist you every single step of the journey that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace, your patience, your love for us. I pray, Lord, as we learn the secret of contentment that we, we, would, we would understand by recognizing the burden of our own sin has been dealt with fully and forgiven through the work of Jesus frees us to live with joy 
accepting who we are, where you've placed us, what you've given to us. Thank you for this reminder. We ask that you would bless us. In your name we pray. Amen.